Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 122. Well, as soon as I was visibly pregnant, you're in a whole different place as a woman at work, never mind any conversation about sexuality. People come up to you and they touch your stomach and they ask you how your husband's doing and all these kind of questions that are a little bit maybe more intrusive than they would feel comfortable doing at other times. One thing stuck with me though was a conversation with my mom at the time say, you're choosing a difficult path for yourself out. This could be very challenging for you. Yeah, I've always been very comfortable in my own skin and open about who I am. And I'm sure a lot of that is down to my family and my honest Dutch upbringing as well. It's amazing to work in a place that has so many nationalities and background storing and being part of our community LGBTQ+. It adds just another layer of diversity within the bank. Even maybe that sounds a bit trivial, I think it's powerful in itself, just having these symbols of solidarity. You know, walking around the building with my rainbow lanyard and lots of different items in my office, mugs and things, I think that's actually a really powerful display. Hello from Cybos. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening to you all. My name is Tepesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Trade isn't just the exchange of commodities. It's a tapestry of human connections, cultures and stories from every corner of the globe. Trade has no borders and no barriers. Despite challenges, be that conflict, political tensions or cultural differences, trade has an uncanny resilience. It bridges divides, finds common ground and keeps the world connected. At the heart of trade, there's a human element, unseen yet ever-present. To create inclusive trade at a macro scale, we fundamentally need to create environments for an inclusive society. On the micro, the everyday, people must come first. Today, we're talking about sexuality in the context of LGBTQ+, or lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and allies, and some of the issues they might face in trade, treasury and payments. It's a topic that's incredibly important for so many people, but sadly, it's still vastly undercovered and unspoken. In preparation for this interview, I struggled to find many pieces covering LGBTQ plus conversations across the trade, treasury and payments industry. So here it is. As a gay man myself, I'm no stranger to playing it straight or not disclosing the gender of my male partner when it comes to discussions. Work was and has been a safe space to be who I am, as it should be to everyone, but it's certainly not without its challenges. That's why today we're doing a first. We're flying the flag for the LGBTQ plus community in trade, treasury and payments. Representation matters and this narrative is important. Even if it means we need to step outside of our comfort zone, be brave and be vulnerable. Today, our panel will touch upon personal journeys the power of role models, and the often overlooked challenges faced by individuals in an environment where professional and personal identities sometimes clash. We'll discuss the invaluable role of allies in fostering inclusivity and understand the transformative steps the industry needs to adopt for a brighter, more inclusive future. We aim to uncover gaps, 
celebrate strides made and together envision the future where every voice is heard, every story valued. I'm so excited to be joined by world-class leaders, the heroes of trade treasury and payments. We have Catherine Lang Anderson from Allen and Overy, Natasha Condon, JP Morgan, Roberto Lever at the Asian Development Bank, Roger van Lamaret from Lloyd's Banking Group, and Alan Koenigsberg from Visa. Welcome to Trade Finance Talks TV. So to start with, I'd like you to all give a quick elevator pitch. In no more than 30 seconds, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Catherine, over to you. Hi, Dipesh. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm Catherine Lang-Anderson. I'm a partner at the law firm Allen & Avery, and I specialise in trade and commodity finance. Thank you very much. Tash, over to you. Lovely to be here. I'm Natasha Condon. I work in the trade and working capital team within payments at JP Morgan. I'm currently the global head of sales, and I'm also our trade region head for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Roberto, over to you. Thank you. My name is Roberto Leva, and I'm one of the relationship manager of the trade and supply chain finance program in the Asian Development Bank, and uh, based in Manila. Thank you, Roger. Over to you. I am the uh, head of um, trade and working capital products here at Lloyd's Bank, and I joined the bank in 2009. And Alan, over to you. Hi there, I'm Alan Konigsberg. I work for Visa. I'm based in Los Angeles, California. I've been in this business a long time. I've been with Visa for four years. I'm head of our large and middle market business around the world, our global verticals, as well as working capital. Thank you very much. So to start with, some personal perspectives and Tash, I'm going to ask if you can share your personal journey in the industry as a bisexual woman and discuss some of the challenges and triumphs in your career so far, especially within the context of trade and treasury. Yeah, happy to. So Natasha Connor, I've been in the industry now, I think terrifyingly coming up on 19 years, which I can't quite believe. And like most people, I fell into trade finance and it happens completely by accident, applied for a job that looked exciting, didn't really understand what it was, and found myself in a team of brilliant people who welcomed me in despite the fact they had no idea what this 20-something girl was doing wandering around the office at Citibank in 2004. They taught me pretty much everything I knew. But at that time, I was very nearly the only woman. And frankly, the thought coming out at the same time seemed a little bit like adding insult to injury. So I think like a lot of people do, they were a very welcoming team. I liked them very much. When we talked about what we did at the weekend with our families, I just said he. I'm bi. It might have been true. It didn't happen to be, but it could have been. Over the years, it made me increasingly uncomfortable as I got more senior and more confident, I think, in my role that I was effectively lying to these people who I really liked and respected and trusted in many different ways. And so I started kind of being out to more people, close people. I have always been incredibly fortunate in my managers. And my manager, in fact, back then was one of the first people I told and you know, he reacted the way you hope anyone would react. It wasn't a drama. There was no fuss. And then 2016, I got pregnant. And in fact, I, I went to my manager at the time and said, I really did trust him. And I said, you know, we're thinking of getting pregnant. And obviously when there's two women involved, it takes a bit of planning. And he said, that's very inconvenient. I have a big project I need you to do. Can you put it off until next year? He didn't mean it in a bad way at all, but I did have to gently explain, you know, sorry, boss, this isn't something I can really guarantee. He was incredibly supportive. And while I was on 
what, as soon as I was visibly pregnant, you're in a whole different place as a woman at work, never mind any conversation about sexuality. People come up to you and they touch your stomach and they ask you how your husband's doing and all these kind of questions that are a little bit maybe more intrusive than they would feel comfortable doing at other times. And at that point, I thought this is just, you know, I like these people, I trust them. This is a warm, welcoming environment. I really started being a bit more open about it. I was fortunate enough to be promoted on the maternity management role, my first big management role. And so after that, really, I was much more open about who I was and then moved over to JP Morgan at the beginning of 2020. And it did feel very liberating to come into this organization from day one as myself. And everybody who knows me here has known me as I truly am from the beginning. And it was incredibly welcoming. I should also say that the, um, the Pride organization and the employee group that supports sort of LGBTQ plus employees is extremely welcoming at JPM. They're also very enthusiastic. They basically tackled me as I walked through the door and immediately put me to work. So now I run the Dubai Plus Council. I'm a co-chair of that, which is our global employee group for Dubai Plus identified employees. There's also an executive council for moderately senior people who are LGBTQ plus and allies. There's a special group for the corporate investment bank that just kicked off, which on the steering committee for incredibly welcoming. And since then, it has been a very, I say liberating is the right word. It has been a liberating experience. I really feel very fortunate to be where I am. And I think I've had sponsorship from some truly fantastic managers, mentors, senior people during that time who have made it very clear that they were right there beside me. Thank you very much, Tush and Fertie. I spent 10 fabulous years at J.P. Morgan, and I was honored to be one of the first members of the executive LGBT committee at JPM, and uh, that was fully supported by Jamie. And uh, Brad Bomel is a force of nature. He absolutely is. Brad Bomel, for anyone who needs to know, is the head of the Office of LGBTQ Plus Affairs at J.P. Morgan, and force of nature is precisely the correct way to describe him. And I think within that context, the importance of role models and having those visible role models is really important. Catherine, do you have anything to share about the value of having those role models within our industry and how this has perhaps influenced your career to progress as, as partner at ANA? Yeah, sure. I think Tasha's story could not have illustrated the importance of role models any better, right? Because I think sometimes when I'm thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, what we don't want to do is get stuck in the theory of it all. And what we want is to hear some real life stories, some successful leaders in our industry. And I think Tasha's story is incredibly inspiring, right? And perhaps somebody listening to Tasha's story might be able to shortcut the first part of that journey a bit, inspired by listening and taking advantage of the role models. So I think that that's a perfect example of how important this is. I think in my own career, I've benefited so much from role models along the way, right from the beginning, right from deciding um, to do trade and commodity finance in the first place, and which, like Tash, was 19 years ago as well, which is quite shocking. But I think what's been quite important for me is to remember that you don't need one role model who ticks all the boxes of how you see your career playing out. So I think for me, it's been really important to have different role models where I've been able to pick different aspects of what I admire about them, how they operate, how they combine work with home commitments. You know, some great lawyers I've been inspired by who might not necessarily even do the same practice area as me, equally people in our industry who aren't lawyers, but who I admire in other ways as well. Having access to all of that has been amazing. And I think that's what's really enabled people to find stories that resonate with them. 
I think in our space, we've been brilliant actually at profiling um, role models on the gender front. And we've been great at recently really amplifying the message around women in commodities and trade finance and finding stories there. And I think my hope now is that we can broaden the discussion out to cover other aspects of diversity like we're doing today on the LGBTQ plus front. Thanks, Catherine. And I guess being a role model really takes being authentic. And Alan, being LGBTQ plus is not accepted all around the world. And I guess with that in mind, can you discuss your personal journey around the importance of being your authentic self within the industry? I finished college in 1989. So you could do the mathematics yourself to let you know how long I've been around in financial services. I was very fortunate as a kid growing up on Long Island in New York uh, to have a family that both my mom and my dad's family were like in the textiles business, big textiles companies, and frankly, accustomed um, to dealing with gay people in sort of in that kind of environment. They were very, very understanding. As a matter of fact, parents always know. If you're a parent, you always know what's going on with your kids. So very early on, I felt very comfortable. When I went to college in Boston in 1985, I sort of made a decision that I don't think I called it authentic. I don't think I called it anything other than I was just going to be me. I guess that's be a song or something, but I was just myself. I never adjusted pronouns. I never lied and said I was something else. And I know people have very different journeys and that sort of carried through. One thing stuck with me though, was a conversation with my mom at the time say, you're choosing a difficult path for yourself out. This could be very challenging for you. You know, not everyone is understanding as the little circle that you're in, in college. So when I went to work, I started my career in 1989 on American Express in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That was why I said my first introduction to what this was going to be like. These were different times. Let's admit it. Like the last couple of decades have marked significant change. Through it all, I've always been my authentic self. Come thicker, thin, or thinner, thinner. I think the positives for me have always outweighed than any of the negatives, either perceived or real. And I'm proud of that. I've been with my now husband and partner for 28 years. We had that in common, that we never needed to concoct a, a sort of a false identity for ourselves. And I recognize that in the industry we're in, transaction banking, corporate banking, trade and finance, we're all out there. Some of us reveal more of ourselves than others, and that's okay. But I think all of us on this call who are authentic and are their selves, are yourselves role models for everybody. And I can't tell you over the years how many calls that I've received, whether it be at Amex or JPM or Merrill, and now at Visa for young talent coming in the door, where it's not that I disclose that I'm gay, but just who I am. Like if I talk about what I did over the weekend, I'm like my husband and I watch movies. You know, it's not like I need to uh, advertise it already. But how many calls I get, I say, you know, you, you changed something in me just to be who I am. And I think it makes better performance. It makes a better professional over time. So I think in short, my experience has been net positive, but I also recognize that there have been situations in my experience and over the timeline that some things have uh, been negative or uncomfortable uh, for me or for others that I've just had to manage. I think my North Star has been, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be myself. And if company or colleague or client or whatever can't understand that or doesn't want to you know, work with you, well, that's not really my problem. It's their problem. And if there's something I can do to help, I will do it. I'll give you one quick story. I've been in situations of covering clients. I've been in product. I've been in you know, internal constituencies, external clients. For a period of time, 
I was covering FI in the Middle East. So this nice Jewish boy from Long Island who happens to be gay, you know, is off to Saudi. I was more concerned about the other part of it, but I love those teams. You know, I love my clients. I was always a student of my clients. After dinner one night, I'll take all the names out to protect the innocents. I wear a wedding ring I have for years. One of the gentlemen said, you know, what's your wife's name? And it was a pretty group of clients and colleagues. And I turned around and said, John, and you could have heard a pin drop at that table immediately. And I didn't do it to embarrass him. I did it with a smile and a giggle as usually I'm a bit jovial. And he immediately was very apologetic. And I said, there's no reason to apologize. It's totally okay. It's totally okay. I said, but you know, I wasn't going to lie to you. And so the conversation progressed and uh, we've stayed friends all these years, but I don't think he's ever asked that question again <laughs> of and anyone else. But you know, there's things like that that do occur and it's a moment. It's really a true moment where you could change hearts and minds in a second. I think I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of the things that I've done. Lastly, intersectionality is a really big deal. I don't think we invented that word until later. What are you first? For me, I was never gay first. I was a professional and this and that. I just happened to be this. I mean, what does it make a difference? It doesn't make a difference. So what's the big deal all about? If you, we behave that way, you know, and level it that way, I just move on. I hope Leo does do too. Thank you very much, Alan. And I think those having those straight assumptions and removing them and, and challenging them is really important. Roger, as an openly gay man at Lloyd's, how has your experience been in the trade and treasury sector? And perhaps you could share a bit about your career journey. Also touch on Lloyd's focus on DEI, particularly with regards to those straight assumptions that Alan mentioned earlier. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Deepesh. Well, uh, again, as I said, I joined the bank on the grad scheme in 2009. And really, it's a great organization to work for and one that's very committed to creating uh, diverse and inclusive, high-performing teams. That really sits at the core of the success of the business, our ability to deliver for our clients. At Lloyd's, we're really clear that the communities that we serve as a group are diverse uh, themselves. Our purpose as a bank is to help bring prosper, and therefore, to do that, we need to represent the diverse nature of those communities. So, really clear that as an employee of the bank, that it's something that the institution really cares about deeply and does a lot of work around. Yeah, I've always been very comfortable in my own skin and open about who I am, and I'm sure a lot of that is down to my family and my honest Dutch upbringing as well. I've only ever received support from my colleagues there work, which I'm very grateful for. And by extent, it's one of the main reasons why I'm an active supporter of diversity, equality, and inclusion more widely, as it feels right to create equal opportunity for everyone and to repay the favor almost. There is a piece around the innocence sometimes of assumptions, which firstly, I don't take offense to at all, but people will often assume that you're straight and that if you're a man, you're married to a woman and vice versa. I remember as an example around that, I got married to my husband, Jeffy, in 2017. And after coming back from our honeymoon, lots of people come up to congratulate me and sort of ask me about my new wife. So it kind of felt like in the first couple of days of being back in the office, I had to kind of come out 
all over again to a hundred plus people. Again, all sort of with the best intentions and the innocence was absolutely there. And I was absolutely fine to tell people uh, that Jeffrey and I had a really good honeymoon, but just a good example for you there. I guess more widely, and you know, you've heard the other panelists talk about this a bit as well, in our profession and industry more widely, we meet people from different backgrounds and with different viewpoints all the time. And whilst I would not ever pretend to be someone who I'm not, you know, equally, I think it's important to recognize and respect the diversity of thoughts and beliefs of those who you meet in the different parts of the world that you might meet them in as well. Roberto, what has been your experience working in the private sector at Asian Development Bank on the other side of the world in Manila? I guess you've been navigating LGBTQ plus in a context where there are very different views around those rights among ADB's member countries. I guess, how can organizations and individuals in these countries really support their LGBTQ plus colleagues? Thanks. So first of all, I would say that like ADB is per se an inclusive organization. So my colleagues are open-minded and it's amazing to work in a place that has so many nationalities and background storing and being part of our community LGBTQ plus. It adds just another layer of diversity within the bank. Now, like many other private organizations, we do have a pride group that people can sign up to and they can, we often have events. Some of them are like in person, some of them online. The overall being in the Philippines, Manila helps feel quite comfortable because I don't think I've ever met people as welcoming as the people from the Philippines, both in the work and the private environment. Within my immediate working environment, I don't feel much of a difference from when I was working for a commercial bank here in London. On that front, it's all positive. Now, it's true what you mentioned, there is certain views in the largest sphere that like are not extremely positive. Now, it's very good that, for example, from an Asian development bank perspective, we have a lot of social experts in different parts of the, uh, the organization. So we openly recognize that, for example, the exclusion of our community, okay, would hurt the national development of any country because it seems it leads to a loss of human capital, which goes to a reduction of GDP. So we kind of like the social elements is in favor of argument for our community. As an organization, we say that recognition that we have the same human rights and any other people and we are protected by international declaration and conventions. And ultimately, the diversity per se is one driver of creativity, hindering our community is a missed opportunity to improve things like the decision-making process or problem-solving. The banks, the bank respects the every employee's background. So I wouldn't say that the non-LGTB-friendly view of certain countries would is impacting my positive experience. But having stated that there is a big attention paid towards privacy, towards respect the individual decision, especially those that are working from location where being a part of our community is an issue. So, for example, these colleagues might not tend to join official mailing lists and would then access the information from a different angle, maybe public money gets published online. I think that organizations and individual per se can support their LGTB plus colleagues, also those in the more challenging situation, I find. So when it comes to organization, it's about constantly and always showing the respect for the employees, wherever they are. Uh, respect is key and a good way of providing support, even in, in dedicated circumstances, is providing networking opportunities. If 
group networking opportunities are not possible, are not what makes that employee comfortable. I would say the organization needs to support, for example, at least bilateral networking opportunities, like mentoring opportunities, to allow the inclusion of those members of the community don't have the opportunity to be part of it explicitly. I'm also in favor, I would say, of the open mobility opportunities when possible, when employees located in less one welcoming country would like to try and experience a different life for themselves. I know it's not easy in every circumstances, but I would always push for organization to join lobbying efforts to support social development and including LGBTQ+. In larger companies, including multilateral, such as where I work, might have the possibility to influence positive the your governments on the matter and should, in any case, take a positive stance in support of our community. When it comes to individuals, per se, I would say it's back to the word of respect. So everyone needs to treat their colleague with respect and they need to try and get to know their colleague to try and ultimately normalize what being part of our community means. Once you get to know something, you get to understanding you at that level of, for example, of fear and impasse exclusion would drop quite significantly. Also, because I would assume in many cases, individuals are not very supportive of the community, mostly for a lack of understanding and direct relationship with people like us. Thank you very much, Roberto. And I must also give a shout out to our incredibly talented and inclusive team in Manila there. I think respect and also the silent influence of a powerhouse like, like a multilateral ADB is really important there. Let's go on to discuss the roles of allies in the finance industry, because I think they're really powerful and they bring a lot to the organization. Catherine, can you discuss the role of an ally within our industry? the power it brings to the organization and also the dynamics. I think we touched upon this about knowing when to kind of step back as an ally. So I'm a really proud ally. I've got to say I've taken so much from being an ally. It's really enriched my life, my career. And it, at a our network is called a and brilliant name, I think. And we've got a very strong kind of allyship network around that as well. Now, just to give you a sense of the numbers, there's about 100 members of a and and there are 700 allies within our firm who formally signed up, right? So that gives you a sense of the scale and the power the voices of the allies can add, just amplifying the message and generally being supportive and hoping to encourage progress. I guess I've kind of approached being an ally in different ways. Firstly, I'm really into all the merch. So I've been collecting um, a lot of different items over the years. Even maybe that sounds a bit trivial. I think it's powerful in itself, just having these symbols of solidarity, you know, walking around the building with my rainbow lanyard and lots of different items in my office, mugs and things. I think that's actually a really powerful display. Always trying to attend events. So I think showing up is hugely important as well. And it's not exactly a hardship because frankly, I think RA and out events, some of the most of the best events that we do. I think what's been quite really great opportunity for me as well as using my legal skills as an ally. We've had the opportunity a and to be involved in some pro bono projects that are specifically focused around helping um, progression on LGBTQ plus issues. So I was involved with colleagues of mine in a project with an NGO called Redress, 
which was looking at the laws in certain African countries around discrimination, around being gay and around discrimination and around um, firstly what the laws say and then in practice what happens. And that report's been a very powerful springboard, hopefully to advocate for change. So you sort of touched upon a little bit, Dipesh, I think a big learning point in my sort of journey as an ally has been knowing when to step back. So I think it's been really important to remember that actually, for example, in A and Out, you know, part of the role that our network has is being a safe space where people can access information and have confidential discussions and get support. Some people may not be out at work or out in all parts of their lives. And I think it's really important to respect that space as well. Being allies generally, I think there's so much that we can do, particularly when we come together as an industry, because I'm really conscious that the trade world is made up of all different types of organizations like the, the organizations that we all work for on, on this in this session are quite large organizations where we have access to resources to be able to build these kinds of amazing examples of what can be done but that's not the case for all of the players in our industry so i think it's a big responsibility on me as an ally to try and talk about some of the progress that we've made in my organization and how we can take inspiration from that when we come together as an industry. The other thing about being an ally is educating yourself, but also not being too worried about saying the wrong thing. I think that's quite important and not letting sort of a lack of complete knowledge hold you back from trying to sort of visibly show support. It's shocking to, I'll bring it back to law again, because I love talking about law, being alone. But it's quite shocking for me to think that during my entire education, saying 1998 to 2003, that coincided exactly with um, a law that was in place in the UK called Section 28, which prohibited promotion of homosexuality by local authorities. The kind of backdrop that I grew up in and people of my sort of generation grew up in, in the UK. Remembering none of this stuff is a completely different world now. I see it with my kids at school and the different approach that is taken nowadays. But we have to remember that drop, but also really hold ourselves to account for making progress. And there's no guarantee, unfortunately, I think the last few years have shown, there's no guarantee that progress is linear. So I think it's all the more important now to be really clear about what we stand for. Thank you very much, Catherine. And I hate to be cheesy, but I, I just remembered I had this in my bags. Tash, how have allies within JP Morgan contributed towards creating a safer and more inclusive environment? Can you share any instances that really demonstrate that impact of allyship? Yeah, absolutely. Allies are special. We all know it. It's an admirable thing to advocate for yourself, but people who fight for others when there's nothing in it for them and there's no personal benefit to them. Those people are special. We all live with the benefits of that every day, no matter what minority we belong to. So here's one. I joined as I joined JPM in 2020, right into the teeth of COVID. And shortly after that, I had the opportunity to go and meet with Jason Sipple, who's the global head of equities at JP Morgan. And Jason Sipple is everything you expect the global head of equities at JP Morgan to be. That he's tough, he's decisive, he's intellectually brilliant. Hopefully he's not going to kill me for talking about him like this. And I went to meet him on the trading floor, which is also very exciting because I don't work on the trading floor. And he's sitting there in this great big beautiful office with a huge great I am an ally sign on his desk. And I thought, how brilliant. The trading floor, not always famous for being a place that's, you know, the most inclusive all locations in finance. He's a massive ally. He turns out for us every time we ask him. He supports us in public and in private. People like that are also role models that we need in the organization. As again, everybody knows, 
when you speak to somebody, every time you have to come out, you're taking a little risk, right? It's a small act of courage. You don't know what kind of reception you're going to get. Somebody says to you, you know, oh, you know, I was out with my wife and kids at the weekend. What were you doing? And you have to make that split second decision. Do I use a pronoun in my answer or do I censor myself? It's an act of courage. It's an act of trust each and every time you do that. And you have to do it again and again and again. And every time you meet someone who's welcoming and maybe they're wearing rainbow lanyards, so you don't need to worry about the conversation. You know it's okay if you say she. That is incredibly reassuring. And in fact, I have been thinking about how I can be a better ally, even within the LGBTQ plus community. Right? I'm B. I'm not L or G or T or, you know, I don't call myself Q. There's other people I can be a better ally to. I made myself a New Year's resolution this year, actually, that I was going to be a better ally across the board. And with great enthusiasm in January, I signed up to all of our employee groups. The Black Advocacy One, Asian Employees, the one for employees with disabilities, our military vets organization, I joined a lot. It has been actually very awesome and I've learned a lot and now I get a lot more email than I did before. Thank you, Tash. And I think when you look at being an, a role model and also being an ally within your organization. I think that's one element. Let's now look at the other side of the coin, which is being a role model outside of your organization. And Alan, I know you have a couple of engagement outside of Visa in terms of with not some of the nonprofit board. Can you talk a little bit more about what that does for you, why you do it, and also what that does for you when you go back into the office of Visa? First, I would say the group Al, that um, first, we're working for for-profit, most part companies. And being inclusive is good for business, period, end of story. And when you can bring this together with your commercial opportunities, it really is dynamite. And I've been fortunate to be able to do that a couple of times, working with a client and doing cross promotions, between pride organizations, or doing even product development with clients that specifically target of the LGBT plus community. Some of this is absolutely incredible. It falls right to the bottom line of a company. So it demonstrates not only are you supportive of your employees, but you want to be able to do business in a meaningful uh, way with your clients that include LGBT plus folks. In terms of like external work I've done over the years, really quick one. I recognized that during the financial crisis, I was living in London. I recognized that I didn't have hobbies like I did when I was younger in my 40s began to scare me that I was so over-indexed on career that I stopped doing other things. So I was with bankers day and night. Oh, that's anybody. You know, I didn't have kids. I didn't have those opportunities to meet people outside your circle, if you will. I made sort of that kind of New Year's resolution also that I wanted to start giving back. I thought maybe I can join a nonprofit board. Over time, I've joined two, which I'm very, very proud. One's on the entertainment side of the, of the uh, house, which is uh, Outfest based in Los Angeles, which is a worldwide organization from film festival all the way to screenwriting and supporting young LGBT plus artists all over the world. It brings me an incredible amount of joy. Believe it or not, yes, you can bring your banking skills and your trade skills to boards like that because they need that along with creatives. And um, I've worked with the Ackerman Institute in New York, just joined their board of directors. But over the last eight years, I've worked with a subset group called the Gender and Family Project, which essentially looks after kids that express themselves in another sex as they grow up. And sometimes these children are very, very young and they require counseling and often these families can't afford it. Ackerman provides that if needs be at no cost to those families. And a very, very powerful message. Yes, it can be controversial too, but it does exist. It is out there. It is real. You don't understand it. All you need to do is accept it. 
being affiliated with large companies also gives that opportunity too. Between nonprofit boards and what you do for a living, sometimes magic happens and then you can bring all that together. Where a company really wants to support that work, whether it comes to training, where you can bring that nonprofit into the company and do lunch and learns. Those are always well attended by allies, if you will. Um, all the way to, you know, a gala dinner event where a company can show its leadership, its sponsorship. I think all of that is positive. I think all that shit sends a very positive message about your own personal commitment. Folks often ask me, you know, how do you make the time? I'm like, you make the time. It's like going to the gym. You make the time to do it. It's important to me. I, I think also it's been probably one of the more rewarding things about my career is that you have like different things and balance of things. I continue to learn. Um, not a negative comment, but I think we've entered an era of uh, Pride Month and lots of logos turning Pride colors, which always delighted to see, but nothing negative or no negative aspersions intended. But you do see companies that turn their logos, you know, Pride colored for a particular month that may not be through and through as authentic as we would like. For somebody like me that's been around long enough, I'll take it as we can get it. I don't have a political axe to grind at all. But what I do expect though, personally, I can't I'm all speak for my company or my company's great. When awful things happen or good things happen, when there's a shooting in Orlando, companies need to say something because there's their people are hurting. And when companies say silence, it says a lot. It does. Um, marriage quality. All you need to do is look at the companies in the US that signed the amicus brief for the Supreme Court. And look at the companies that didn't. That's all you need to know when you're looking for a job, right? Being a gay LGBT plus person. You don't need to do all kinds of research. You just look at that, look at that letter and look who's signed. Every major financial institution, pretty much in the United States, at least the picture ones that, you know, signed that letter, signing their support. I think that's another form of allyship that comes from the company expressing it through and through. It's more meaningful than a billboard or a plush toy. Thank you, Alan. And yeah, I think interesting there that you're bringing it back to it makes business sense and the end consumer, even though we are a B2B industry where we are ultimately a B2B C industry run by humans, run by people. It's great to hear from Catherine as, as one of the best of the allies that we have around how she viewed this and, and the active sort of role that she and a lot of others like Catherine play, you know, not just LGBTQ plus inclusion diversity, but inclusion diversity more widely. I think, you know, what I would say is that the allyship is a massively important uh, sort of part across the full spectrum of diversity, equality, and inclusion. And often enough, it's really the allies who bridge the gap between the wider organization or industry. And often within it, the smaller groups of individuals who are actively trying to deliver change. Having people like Catherine and other allies around us who are able to influence and to positively engage with wider groups of people, either within the companies that we're part of or the wider industry that we're part of, really makes a difference between doing an okay job or doing a really great job at diversity, equality, and inclusion. Some very useful resources there, and we'll definitely be publishing those alongside. I think there are a lot of learnings and takeaways for everyone watching this video. Roberta, do you have any examples of allies who've supported you either within or outside or previous to ADB and perhaps talk about how this has helped you through your role? I would say that allies are essential to make a people like make a person feel at ease in a work environment. This could be from extreme cases of avoiding any discrimination in the organization to um, allowing 
a person to come as they come as they are. I feel like not being able to rely on colleagues and the work environment as ally would be as hard as going through your personal life without friends or family. So a very bad situation that certainly does not allow you to give 100% in the work environment. That's how important and the role of an ally, I think, is in an organization. With regards to specific cases, so it was when I was in my previous job at JP Morgan and uh, that I came out. I personally didn't make any announcement, neither I did feel that I had to. Those people that showed understanding when I was mentioning elements of my personal life that I didn't disclose before and kept treating me exactly the same, those are were the ones that I automatically considered allies. Some people were asking questions and it's okay because Within reason, it does not really matter what you ask, but I think it matters how you ask it and what your intention is. I also find that like being an ally and being the attitude of an ally for our community, for the LGBTQ plus community, also allows you to grow your level of empathy overall, which is a great plus when you're dealing with people that might have other diversity traits other than than our community, because they might have simply a different cultural background other than yours or an overall different life situation. So I think the attitude of being allies, not just in favor of what our community in relation to our community, but it's an overall shows of empathy and understanding, which really helps a person grow. In my current role, I basically already introduced myself as I came off the plane as a person that felt today totally at ease with his sexuality and openly spoke about what I was when asked. Let's put it like that. I also think that my current situation, you know, I'm older than when I was in my previous job and I've been out longer. So I felt like the having allowed Zarami, of course, is still extremely important. Of course, it's extremely very support to provide, to, to perform even better. But that showed me how important it is to have sort of environment and around you, especially when you're younger or you have just made changes to your personal life. You just must have just come out in that specific environment. And being surrounded by people that have understand the show proactively that a live sign on the desk makes a hell of a difference. Really help the person make their first step in what could be a completely different phase of their life in finding their own, helping them finding their identity by simply being able to talk about it. So that's how important I find uh, the role of an ally. Thank you, Roberto. And look, I appreciate it. Gosh, this conversation is not easy. It's not straightforward. There are no kind of easy answers given the topic. But I think for the fact that at least we're starting the conversation and we're having those and we're starting to introduce the topic to our industry is the start. And I guess that moves on to our final theme, which is really key kind of take homes, what the industry can do or should do to move this forward. Roger, I'll start with you. I guess from a business perspective, how can embracing DEI policies lead to perhaps growth and profitability, as Alan mentioned earlier, in financial institutions? Thanks, Deepesh. So definitely a talk about that, particularly in treasury and payments more widely. But I think, you know, the statement holds true for banking and financial services more widely. If I focus here on the UK in particular, which is where our home market is at Lloyd's, financial services, you know, is representative of 12% of economic output, employs two and a half million people up and down the country, two thirds of which are employed outside the London area. 
sort of driving that diversity, equality, and inclusion across the industry and into the economy more widely is really important. And the way in which, you know, I think about this personally, to a degree, the way in which we think about this at Lloyd's is the communities we serve as a large financial institution are diverse by themselves. That holds true for Lloyd's Bank in the UK. That will hold true for any large or small or regional or global financial institution that any of us might be dealing with it at any point in time, or any of us might be working for, any of us might be a customer of. And starting with the human aspects, I guess, extending opportunity and equality for all of society, quite frankly, in my view, simply is the right thing to do. That applies both to the clients that we serve, as well as the colleagues we employ uh, here at Lloyds Bank. Hopefully it goes without saying that the human argument is very clear and and one which people don't need convincing by. But in case they do need more reason to be convinced as to why a really good focus and strong policies on diversity, equality and inclusion are important, then the corporate business case could not be more clear to write. First of all, there's clear evidence that shows that businesses are more successful when they have a really healthy gender and diversity balance right across their workforce, which goes all the way to the executive tiers of their organizations as well. We know that diverse companies outperform industry peers on profitability and on performance as well. There's been all sorts of research done by a number of industry leading firms, but if I pick a bit on research done by McKinsey, McKinsey's found that companies with cultures in the top quarter perform up to 200% better than its peers in the bottom quartile of the quality of the culture that these institutions have and their commitment to diversity, equality, and inclusion. The next point that I'd make is that diversity across teams and the commitment to diversity is known to drive better quality of innovation, better client insight, and equally ensures long-term success of those teams and the businesses that they form, form part of. And last but certainly not least, diversity is massively important too when it comes to attracting top talent into any organization and to our industry more widely. Another piece of research done by Deloitte has found that 88% of employees believe that culture is the second most important factor when they decide who to work for and if they want to work for a certain organization. And that's second most important after pay and compensation particularly attracting top quality talent into any organization and into our industry more widely. I think we all agree is a big strategic priority for everyone. It's very clear to me that it's not just the human aspects and, and quite frankly, extending equal opportunities to all being the right thing to do from a human standpoint and a personal standpoint, but the business case is very, very clear. Fully understand that maybe not everyone is motivated by social justice, but all best in class leaders should be aware of the clear business case for diversity. And by extent, you know, I'm very happy and very proud to work for a company which is equally committed to uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion in the same way which I am personally and the way in which my team are. And we're actively using that to ensure that we create a diverse and inclusive, uh, high-performing team in our organization. Catherine, I know there have been some policy recommendations from a kind of A&O perspective. Are there any that you can share that you believe that can help us create and, and foster a more inclusive environment for LGBTQ plus employees? 
Yeah, I think what's been really powerful for us is having a very strong message from the very top of the organization about what we stand for. And then that sort of is able to have people feel empowered throughout the organization to build on that. I think having really strong networks, we touched on it before, but that's been a game changer for us in being more organized about how we approach this. Coming back to role models again, making sure we're profiling people, making sure we're bringing in external speakers, which we do quite often, that we can learn from in this space as well. And I think in, in terms of actual policies, we've done a lot of work, as many other organisations have, in really scrutinising our policies and making sure that we are making them as equitable as we possibly can. And that's around being really clear on things like parental leave, things like gender neutral spaces and facilities, things like where we stand on discrimination and what happens if there are instances of that just going right through our policies with the real lens and also hearing from our LGBTQ plus community about what's needed in terms of organisational change rather than just assuming what we think might work. Thanks, Catherine. And Alan, I guess drawing from some of those previous coaching experiences and engaging with also future leaders, what do you think is the industry's responsibility to create and foster that inclusive environment in trade, treasury and payments? Because I think that's important. We as an industry, as I said earlier, trade crosses borders, trade has no barriers. Do you think it's our responsibility as industry to to accelerate that inclusive environment? I know it's going to sound cliche, but inclusion is a journey without an end. It just continues to move on and move on. And when I reflect back on my years, my experiences in this industry, it's changed so much, but there's so much to come, not only for LGBT+, but for other underrepresented groups, whether we call them underrepresented markets or not, which will be the end of my political statements for the day. For me, I know it when I see it. When I look at companies, I look for good leadership, excellent leadership, and Visa has incredible leadership treats inclusion and diversity right at the top is one of the most important things we do because when we recruit and you recruit a broad slate of different kind of people different people from all over the world you will get better results because you don't have a sort of a monoline of group thick you know you have a lot of different voices from a lot of different backgrounds that sort of add to that add to that voice I also think that companies that create this kind of environment, employees know that even if they're working in a place in the world where being gay is illegal and punishable by whatever that is, that you're safe inside the four walls of your company and their company will do what needs to do, you know, to support you. I think that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. I think the financial services industry over the years has become a lot more inclusive and a lot more diverse. I think this is not a bad news story. I think this is a good news story. I think there are still parts of the, like sort of the subsets of the industry, maybe trade is one of them, where it doesn't look as diverse as other places. I'll give you a quick example. When I was at B of A Merrill, five fabulous years there, great company, the investment bank had a specific LGBT plus recruitment program for iBankers, which I think was fantastic. And I thought to myself, how does that work? You know how it works? Because a lot of the younger people out there are out from the beginning, sort of like young Alan was. They're just out there and they want to be invited to a LGBT recruitment event for investment banking. I can't speak to the current state of the program. I'm sure it's fine, but that's a pretty amazing step for a company to take. Go out and actually look for a diverse set of voices that will help ultimately like the point. I'll answer your bottom line. 
I think also companies have a voice and a platform and they should use it wisely for whatever topic it is. Thanks, Alan. And Tash, I'm going to ask you a similar question, but I guess what's next for the industry from your perspective and what should people perhaps in other large banks around the world do or think about to really encourage and drive that conversation forward? And let's be honest, you know, the conversation is not happening very publicly as we can see in the trade media, but how do we really push to encourage inclusivity amongst the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I agree with all my heart with everything that's just been said. And it's a game of never-ending progress, to Alan's point, right? You can always raise your standard. However good you think you are at anything, you can always do better the next time around. When you look at the new generation who are coming into banking, they're not even sure what all the loss is about. Like, why are you guys even talking about this, right? They take it absolutely as read that organizations should be inclusive. They're not interested in working for somebody who is not. I want to compete with the absolute best of talent. I want people fighting like cats and dogs to get into my organization because it's the place to be. Every single talented person out, and this is just another sort of string to our bow in doing that. In terms of what can big banks do, you know, I think there's a lot of good work being done already. There's there's employee groups, there's representation, there's ally groups. My suggestion at the individual level is always this, do one thing more than you're doing today. If you're a member of the community and you're out, be very slightly more out than you were before, or give somebody a chance to, to have a conversation with you that you wouldn't have done before. If you're an ally, collect one extra piece of merch to Catherine's point. Put a little sign on your desk if it wasn't there before. It makes a difference to more people than you know. And then bit by bit, step by step, without making anyone uncomfortable or disrupting anything too much, we will improve the quality of our organizations and the inclusion and talent attraction. And the whole industry will benefit. Thank you very much, Tash. I've made a whole page of notes. Perhaps we might have to save that writing an article. But I think the main thing is, you know, look at your company policies, challenge them, look at parental leave with a gender neutral lens, look at discrimination policies, be an ally. We've heard lots about what that means. Learn about LGBTQ plus people, their challenges, and also some of the exciting things. Look at and explore LGBTQ recruitment programs, how they work and why they're good for business. I'm going to ask you all one final question to leave on a bit of a high, but if you all had the chance to tell your younger selves one thing before you entered your careers, what would it be? Alan, what would you say to younger Alan? Yes, I would tell my younger self, stay the course. It's going to be okay. Because there's, for every high point, there's been a low point. For every step forward, there's always a step back. Just keep going. One of my favorite quotes in the world is you know an Oscar Wilde quote, which is be yourself because everyone else is already taken. Thank you, Alan. Roberto, over to you. I would say that not to have fears, to feel like you have to put yourself in a box. That's what I would tell myself. There is always like some sort of things that you consider being right to be or being wrong to be. And I would say now just also echoing Alan a little bit like try to be yourself, but also try to understand that being yourself doesn't mean that you have to be as someone else, more that they have in mind, things evolve and so can you and uh, just try to always put effort in things and the result will come. Thank you very much. Roger, over to you. I'd say be open, enthusiastic about new opportunities that cross your path or come your way and don't be afraid or don't be shy to engage with them in a, a positive way because the positive feedback that you get from those around you uh, will certainly exceed your expectations. Catherine, over to you. I think that I would tell myself that it would don't 
waste any energy not being your authentic self and that it is perfectly possible to sort of work hard, progress your career and also do everything else or most of the things that you want to do in life as well. So I would tell myself not to worry about that and have the confidence to, to sort of push forward, work hard and stay because like Alan said. Thank you very much. Tasha, over to you. I think I would tell younger Tash. Similarly to what I think Alan and Roberto said, it's going to be fine. Right now, at the beginning of your career, you are worried about being bi. You're also worried about being a woman. You're worried about the potential for being a mother and whether those things are compatible with having a successful career in this industry. And actually, when you get out there, you're going to find yourself surrounded by incredible people of incredible talent who are none of those things not women, not mothers, not bi, and they will still welcome you and take you for what you are and value you and what you can bring to those organisations. And therefore, in the end, it's going to be fine. Natasha, Alan, Roger, Roberto, Catherine, thank you very much for joining us on this very special Trade Finance Talks. It's fair to say that you guys are the humans, the leaders, the heroes, and the role models of trade treasury and payments. And to all of you listening, I hope this lets off a little spark in your mind to think about what you can do, be that as an ally, be that as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, because I think actions really do speak louder than words on this. Thank you very much. Be yourself. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.